to Capital Locust, the local government finance podcast from the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Talking local globally. This podcast explores ideas and thinking about the role of local government finance as an accelerator of international development in line with the Sustainable Development Goals and Paris Agreement. May Yvonne Akisoya, thank you so much for agreeing to participate in uh, this Capital Lowcast uh, as our guest. And May Yvonne, could you please explain a couple of things about yourself and the city just to introduce it to the listeners before we get on with further questions? Thank you. Thanks, David. Um, so I, I guess I'm fairly new to the political space, to public sector. Um, I've got a private sector background. I'm a finance professional, an accountant, worked in risk consulting. But a number of years ago, through a series of sort of events, the Ebola outbreak being the chief of them, I found myself getting involved working in the public sector space. And about three years after that, I was concerned, and now I'll talk about the city, I was concerned about the state of my city and decided that the only way to address this was to pick up the courage to throw my hat in the ring and step forward. And what is it about my city that concerned me? So um, I'm from the capital of Sierra Leone, Freetown, which is a beautiful city. I grew up in this city. It, had, uh, it has rolling hills. It used to be covered in trees, beautiful beaches. Um, and over the course of the last 25 years, I've seen serious degradation of the environment, destruction of those hillsides with the felling of trees, damaging of the beaches with erosion, sand mining, uncontrolled development of informal settlements, and to crown it all, a really, really serious sanitation problem. So I've come at this role as mayor, very, very focused on a specific outcome, which is to transform Freetown, to have my city once again be a beautiful city. It is still a beautiful city, but really to enable it to have its natural beauty reclaimed and enhanced so that its potential um, both as a source of livelihood through tourism for its residents, as well as it's a, the environment becoming a healthier one for the residents so that those aspirations could be achieved. So that's me and that's my city. Thank you very much indeed, Madam Mayor. That's very clear and beautiful picture you're painting there of Freetown and how it was, how it is, and how you would like to take it forward. Now, one question, interesting, you came from the private sector, you, you talked a little bit about your experience. And um, now you've, you've been mayor, you're working with local government. Has that been a huge culture shock? Have you been pleasantly surprised by things? Uh, how do you, um, did you respond? I mean, is it as you thought it would be? Uh, over to you. Absolutely not. <laughs> I think culture shock is a very good way of describing it. So like I mentioned, I started engaging with the public sector through the Ebola outbreak. And in an outbreak response, you're, you are in a bit of a bubble. Um, so, you know, we worked in a very efficient system within the national Ebola response. So, yes, I was engaging with public sector, but not in the way that uh, my next role um, enabled me to do. But even that was still a bit sort of artificial. Um, so in my next role, I was um, the team lead for the president's delivery team working on a socioeconomic recovery program as a consultant to governments post Ebola. 
And, and again, I was working with um, 11 different MDAs and with the local councils across the country, but with a lot of resource um, at my at my disposal because it was um, an externally funded project. Um, I had management consultants um, working with me, as well as a considerable, um, very professional local team. So we had a 18 month time frame. We had targets to to deliver, and and we had the political will um, coming from the top. Um, as in the highest office of the country to help us push that through. So a bit different when you are now mayor of a city and the administrative staff there don't have a background which is necessarily um, as results-driven as mine. Um, and then there are challenges around resource um, and also coordination with other ministries, departments, and agencies of the central government. So it's been quite a different uh, experience altogether. Uh, and I guess the other thing which has been different for me has been this, the huge sense of responsibility. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's a gender aspect to this, but um, I, I, I feel like the city is, is like my personal responsibility. I mean, of course, it's my responsibility legally, but in conjunction with many others. But I don't know if you're going to be able to identify with this, David. But if, you, if you're a person who is like house proud, um, you know, the city feels like it's your responsibility for this place to look good, for the people in it to be well looked after, to be content. So it, it does place an enormous sense of personal responsibility on one. Um, so I think the combination of having um, come into an environment where um, sort of work culture is very different to what I'm accustomed to, um, resources are challenging to access, there's a lot of coordination issues, and then there's a huge sense of responsibility, which residents also have a huge sense of expectation. So it's taken a lot of change, um, and it's taken a lot of adaptation and responsiveness. And I'm very, very fortunate that even before coming into the role, I had already, through the work I did with the delivery unit, I'd already had a sense that there would be a need for additional technical capacity in order to push through the vision that I articulated through my campaign. So in the campaign, my vision was for a community, for a progress, for a free town. That has now been um, transformed into a three-year development program for the city called Hashtag Transform Freetown, which covers four clusters and 11 priority sectors working with the residents of the city, working with um, technical experts, working with development partners um, and other uh, um, city stakeholders, we have gone through for each of those 11 priority sectors. I um, articulated a theory of change, um, you know, a problem statement, a theory of change and developed 19 specific targets that we are aiming to meet by 2022, which is the end of my term, and, and in meeting those targets, the sum effect will be um, the transformation of our city. So that moves from, you know, those sectors include the environment, urban planning and housing, sanitation, urban mobility, job creation with a tourism focus, health, water, revenue mobilization, um, persons with disability. Um, and for each of these, there are either one or two specific concrete numerical targets that we're setting out to achieve. Um, so 
I, I have come to an environment which is different. I have brought with me my own work kind of focus direction ethic, which is very delivery driven, understanding the importance of effective project management. And we're also having, of course, to deal with the dynamics of being in a political environment um, and dealing with people <laughs> who, you know, want something, um, but aren't always prepared to make the changes that are required in order for those things that they want to be achieved for the good of all in society. Thank you so much indeed, um, Madam Mayor. That's really clear, uh, your, uh, your, your reply. And you know, I, what I can identify with, the first part of your statement there, you know, you talked about being house proud. I, I think that um, uh, I, I've been involved a lot in, in this uh, uh, work, particularly uh, earlier on, uh, on the, the sense of, of, of place and uh, its role in culture and identity. And so people often identify as much with their city as they do with their country. And in fact, if we're honest, you know, cities pre-existed countries and most of the nation states that exist now uh, are relatively new creations, uh, uh, whereas the, the, the city has been there for a lot longer. And so that, that part I, I do strongly identify with. And um, I see where you're coming from in terms of that pride in the city, in Freetown, in its people, in, in its culture, and how the, the local government really is where the citizen and the state comes together in a meaningful uh, local way that, uh, in terms of most of the interactions that one has with the state is really at the local government level. So I do get where you're, you're coming from there. And I think um, it's impressive the plan you have to transform the city by 2022 uh, and the way you're bringing in this uh, problem-solving, action-oriented approach to, to getting there. But uh, has COVID uh, thrown a spanner in the works? Uh, and you, I'm sure you weren't planning for that. So, um, I mean, before going into the details... Just the big picture, uh, 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 has that busted everything for you in terms of your plans? Over to you. Yeah, um, so COVID has definitely um, thrown a span in the works. Um, I suppose it's most important to think about it in terms of life's loss. So, you know, I think, you know, it not only has it sort of impacted and counseled plans, um, but it has also very, very importantly I'm resulted in the loss of precious lives. So my heart goes out to those in my city, those in my nation and, and across the world. Um, what has it meant for us from a city perspective? Two sides of a coin. COVID has resulted in us having to accelerate elements of our Transform Freetown plan, which were already in tow, but have become so much more important um, from, and, and time time sensitive. One of those is water. So water is one of our 11 priority sectors, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't on the list to be addressed now because as you can imagine, 11 priority sectors, 19 targets, there's a phased approach to delivery on these things. Um, and water wasn't scheduled for the first half of 2020. Um, but we have had to be innovative um, with water solutions because 47% of our residents don't have access to running water. And for COVID, hand washing is such an important part of the preventative measures. So we've been, um, you know, we've had to raise funds. We're introducing hand wash stations in communities, in markets, in um, peripheral health units, health facilities. Um, we're, you know, bringing tanks into communities 
building rainwater harvesting systems so the sustainable water and now um, actually working with UNCDF and Swiss Development Corporation under our Blue Peace Initiative. We're also looking at harnessing um, spring water so that we go beyond the immediate um, and with that fast tracking um, access to, to water supply through water kiosks and so forth. Um, so that's, and there are other things that, that are going on in that sort of dimension of the direct engagement for COVID. But the other thing, of course, which is really relevant to the, this other side of the coin is the economic impact that COVID has had. Um, borders closed, flights were canceled. Um, this is an import dependent economy, uh, sadly. So um, most food produce, uh, which isn't fresh, um, is, is imported. So most processed food is important. Um, materials, you know, inputs into what factory there are, you know, you name it. Um, even sadly, even the staple food rice is imported. So when you have these sort of international restrictions and you have a global recession, um, we are very much uh, affected. And this has happened for us at a time when we were just about to roll out a new property rate system. We've been working on it for a year and a half, you know. Um, we've done, we did a pilot back in um, very much of uh, 2019. We rolled out the geomapping. We're geomapping the entire city to make sure that we are able to bring equity from two perspectives. The first is to ensure that all property owners um, are captured by the property rate database. Um, when I came into office two years ago, there were 57,000 properties on the books. Through this exercise, which has seen um, us use satellite imagery, some quite interesting technology to, to calculate roof lines um, from that satellite imagery, um, that whole exercise has resulted in us moving from 57,000 properties to capturing 160,000 properties. So fairness from the perspective of everybody is now captured into the database, but also fairness in the perspective of better aligning value to property rate. Um, previously, it was done almost entirely on the area. Um, and that can be deceptive because you can have a property of the same more or less physical size but one of them has huge grounds, you know, a swimming pool, um, access road made of concrete. And, and, this, and another one could be the same size, um, more or less, but it's made of zinc, you know, and it's in a, in a slum community or it doesn't have a road access or it's, yeah, it's a slum community as much as it's, it's, you know, there's no space around it. Clearly, the size cannot be the only um, elements. So we are now measuring 21 different features. The consequence is that people who've never paid property rate before are all of a sudden receiving property rate bills. And people who were on the in the upper quintile, because we were looking at it in quintiles, the two lower quintiles typically have seen a, a fall um, in their rates. Um, a, a small increase for the third and fourth quintile, but a fairly significant increase in rates for those in the uppermost quintile. Um, and we had to make a decision a month ago 
about whether we would just not proceed because COVID was here um, or whether we'd go ahead. It was a difficult decision to make, but it was one that I believe is the right one in terms of where, what we landed on. We decided to go ahead and to make some concessions to recognize COVID. Why did we decide to go ahead? Because cities have a responsibility to deliver services. And there are some things, whether it's the city being clean, I mentioned before the sanitation challenges I inherited. We've done a lot of work, a significant amount of work to address these, but a lot of this has been externally funded by international partners. So at this time of COVID, we are here in June. And although the central government has not announced a tax holiday, they're still collecting corporation tax, PAYE, goods and services tax. For some reason, there's been no allocation of, or no disbursement of the city council's budget for 2020. So we're here in 2020 June with no resources. And from the perspective of our own source revenue, property rate accounts for 60%. And because we were going through this reform, we couldn't issue our property rates early in the year. And our other revenue sources, whether it's market dues or you know, sort of cemetery burial fees, are quite modest. And we have, we're at a stage where if we could not move forward with our plans, we effectively would need to shut the council down. And that would be a disservice to our residents because the city wouldn't be clean. Cemeteries would overrun, uh, wouldn't be managed. Um, Schools aren't open at the moment because of COVID, but when they're open, we have a responsibility to our municipal schools to ensure that they've got functioning toilets. I mean, we're, we're actually, there's a toilet, sorry to say so much about toilets, um, but there's a toilet uh, uh, for a school that's under construction right now, which we had to stop because we ran out of resources. And the headmaster's been reaching out to me to say, because it, it, it collapsed, you know, with um, under disrepair. Uh, and he's been reaching out to me to say, Mayor, you're halfway through, you need to finish, school will be opening soon. And I'm like, yes, we do need to finish, but we need resources to do that. So we, we made it what has been a difficult decision, wasn't taken lightly, that we would go ahead with some um, um, adjustments. You know, we would reduce the rate of penalty for non-payment. We would um, extend the period for which you could um, pay an installment without having any penalty. And we would reduce the penalty amount from 15% to 5%. Um, so these these adjustments have been made to recognize COVID, um, but we've still gone ahead. And this is very, very fresh off the press. The demand notices started going out last week, Thursday, um, after a year and a half of work. Um, it's very exciting because we now have a mop tax system, which means that as, as residents pay either offsite in banks around the city or here at the city council or the banks that have set up offices on our premises, there is literally an automatic upload into a database. So myself and other senior members of staff can see the payments being made. We had queues on the second day of people wanting to pay. And this afternoon, I had the pleasure of engaging with a 98 year old, in fact, 97 and six months old gentleman who had climbed the stairs onto the first floor in order to pay his rate. 
at the same time, I have people on social media who are calling for protests and demonstrations against the mayor saying Yvonne must go um, and raising all kinds of, you know, sort of outrage that people who have been paying what's the equivalent in, in dollar terms of about $15 for a two-story house a year for property rates are now being asked in, 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 in just take a case in point, being asked, and, and these are not, they're not specific, right? So every property is different, but in this instance is now being asked to pay um, $150 for the year for their property rate. So different reactions. Um, I'm very heartened um, by the people who continue to come. I mean, we had to put more chairs out in the waiting area for people wanting to pay, but often these aren't the ones with the loudest voices. The ones with the loudest voices who are on social media, on Facebook, on WhatsApp, um, threatening court action. Um, they, you know, they they may not be in the majority, but they are able to capture attention. So, so that's a challenge. Um, we've decided as a city to hold a Zoom town hall meeting. Um, and a panel on Tuesday. Um, and for those who might say, well, why didn't you do this before? We have had lots of discussions. I've been on radio, I've been on TV, teams have been doing this for, for several months, but it's always different when it actually happens. I think, you know, people engage with things at a particular level when it's theoretical um, and at a deeper level when they receive a bill. Um, and, you know, coming back to your point about where it's at, as a city, um, it's the rainy season now. We've got teams of staff out clearing gutters, desilting waterways, um, trying to ensure culverts, cleaning streams, trying to ensure that we prevent flooding, you know, in the event of, of heavy rainfall, which historically happened in the city for the five years prior to me becoming mayor. But I came in 2018 and initiated the flood mitigation programs, and this will be our third one. Um, so it's it's been challenging. COVID has sort of thrown us a, a curveball that we didn't anticipate. The timing on our rates uh, are not great. But as I've said before, COVID presents a crisis. Flooding presents a crisis. We don't want a crisis in a crisis. And it's important that we keep our doors open. You know, it's important that we keep our staff paid. Um, we've not been able to pay staff salaries for two months now and staff come to work every day. Um, and being able to go forward um, and not say, okay, we're going to ditch the property reform because it's COVID, there's a COVID outbreak is really important for us and for our residents. This is about us being able to continue to support our residents in a difficult time. Absolutely. You know, um, Mayor, the Secretary General of the United Nations has circulated um, guidance uh, on how to deal with uh, um, this, this terrible uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic. And part of that guidance includes the guidance note on local uh, government finance that UNCDF uh, issued and has gone to all local governments. And one of the key recommendations that we make is that local governments must not run out of cash. They need to keep their liquidity and preserve their fiscal space because responding to this crisis and saving lives 
uh, is actually an all of local government responsibility. It's not something that the Ministry of Health in any country can do on its own, and it, nor is it something that can be effectively managed centrally. So what you've seen in country after country is a differential rate uh, of, of response between different uh, local governments. And as you know, it's all about the parks department, the police department, the sanitation department, you know, you, you name it, 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 the education department, it's the whole of the local government unit has to operate together in order to be able to prepare for and um, uh, care for and shelter the population. And if the local government runs out of money, it cannot perform that function. And that function cannot be performed by central government either. So um, you certainly uh, the action you have taken has followed those recommendations uh, and I think many other local governments are facing the similar dilemmas. But at the end of the day, the responsibility of care to the citizen means that uh, it's necessary to maintain liquidity. Uh, unfortunately, many central governments have also reduced the transfers to local governments. Uh, so it's even uh, more important that that own source revenue that is collected. So that's a big challenge you face. And I think from our side, we would say, good luck and any support you need, we are, we're more than happy to offer. And I think one of the areas where we are working together is the on, on the spring water, as you mentioned. Now, that brings to mind another innovation. I understand that what you are doing in uh, Freetown is you are not going for a, a kind of total lockdown because you recognize that you need to maintain economic activity, people's livelihoods need to continue. So you're doing a kind of partial lockdown and you're combining that with a hand washing. So that is very innovative and that's something that maybe other cities could learn from. One of the other mayors that we interviewed in this series, their city is completely locked down 100%. So of course the economy is zero and that is now creating real economic problems uh, even though they have managed to control the, the, the medical problems. Fortunately, uh, they are now facing very serious economic problems. So perhaps you could outline briefly this innovation, this middle road that you are trying to follow. And uh, I think other cities may want to learn from that. Uh, over to you, Mayor. Hey, thank you, David. That is not, the, the question of lockdowns are not being, those decisions are not being made at the city level. That's a national decision. Um, and the decision, as you rightly said, has been to have three-day lockdowns as opposed to 14-day lockdowns because of the, the strain that that would put on, um, on residents um, and on the economy. Um, and I, I don't know to what extent. There, there were two. There was one from the 5th to the 7th of April and another one in May. Um, and I've not seen the data to be able to identify to what extent those lockdowns made a difference um, for the three days. What I do know is that increasingly, and I was actually on a call yesterday with the government's representative for the response, because each district city um, has a response lead from the government. And I was on the phone with the coordinator um, and we both are of the view that there isn't going to be, um, there isn't a likelihood that lockdowns 
will make a difference. I mean, we've got community transmission going on. Um, we've got a very poor country, very weak economy. Um, we've seen what has happened in other cities where they've attempted lockdowns. Um, I think particularly of somewhere like India, where they went through their lockdown, um, opened up, and then case numbers have just risen. So you really have to ask yourself, you know, is there, you know, where's the benefit uh, in a point in time? And of course, I'm speaking at this without knowing all the facts, so I don't want to offend anyone. This is just as an outsider looking at the news reports and such like. Um, from a city perspective, and I do share this with um, the national coordinator who you know, who's working really well with me. Um, from a city's perspective, our view is the best thing we can do is really to push on the use of masks. And that's much harder, um, much easier said than done, um, but also to continue to make water provision available. That's a big part of what we're doing now. You know, really trucking water, um, tracking water, um, and encouraging the use of water. And of course, messaging community ownership, you know, uh, next week we will, we will restart a process we did a couple of weeks ago of going around the city, now this time door to door and talking to people because as is the case with other cities, we are still struggling with a challenge of denial. Um, and, and it's something we need to get over um, because if, we, if people aren't convinced then they won't take the steps that they need to take in order for us to break the chain, chain of transmission. So that's a whole other dimension um, of, of what's going on. Oh, good luck, Mayor. Good luck with all of that. And uh, I'm speaking to you here from New York, which was one of the epicenters. And uh, you know, people have suffered uh, terribly. Uh, and I don't think there's any family that hasn't been affected. But can you believe it? There are still people in denial and there are still people that refuse to wear masks. It's a real challenge. I agree with you. But um, all power to your efforts, Madam Mayor, and thank you very much for sharing with us the complexity of the response. If, if you have the time, there's one other question I would like to uh, touch on, and that is related to the, uh, the fiscal space angle and, and, again, the recovery. And it is about these digital service providers uh, who have boomed during this period. You know, you have the, the, the home delivery services, you have the taxi services, um, the kind of Ubers or the Boda Boda motorcycle transport. And then you also have things like Airbnb. Although Airbnb, maybe during the coronavirus has not been booming, but previous to that, it was been booming. One of the things that we've been seeing uh, in local governments is that all of these digital providers, they, they need the city to provide uh, the utilities, the roads and things that they use, but they don't actually pay their fair share. And in the case of uh, Airbnb, for example, they can take up accommodation. I wondered, what's your view on that in terms of you know, this review of the tax system? And do you see moving forwards um, a, a way to also uh, look at that in terms of revenue? I'm thinking of your uh, green city plan and your plan for tourism and the environment, but tourists also have to contribute or to the local economy. Otherwise, it will not be possible to maintain that environment. And that's where some cities are struggling with certain models of tourism, such as Airbnb versus staying in a regular hotel. Uh, do you have any views on that, uh, Madam Mayor? Thank you. Yes, yeah, so we do have some Airbnb. It's not as big a market as it is in other 
countries. And I, I must admit, um, we were at a stage where we had over 50% of the properties in the city not even registered for property rate. So we're having to take this a step at a time. Um, the digital, you sort of, you know, Ubers, it, we have a few, they're not, they're not called Ubers, but we have a couple of models which are sort of similar. Um, but I, I must admit, I am starting from ground zero in many of these areas. Uh, and so just getting the basics um, within the finance, within the, the purview of city finance is, has been the focus to date. Um, so that would be like a part two. Fully understood, uh, Madam Mayor. And one of the things we're working on in terms of this part two uh, is uh, uh, the, the necessary alliance between the city and the central government. And this can be something we can discuss with you down the line, because what you're seeing is that a lot of these entities, their tax liability is not at the local level, but yet they're, they, they're using local services. And, and they, we're looking at how to develop forms of tax sharing so that yeah. the central government re reimburses the local government for a portion of that. So I wanted just to put that on the table as something we can work on together in the future. And then just, just before we, we, we close, uh, maybe to come back to your, your vision and, uh, and particularly the environmental aspects of it. And one of the uh, other pieces of work that we're doing, as you know, is the International Municipal Investment Fund. And we're also talking to the Green Climate Fund. Uh, and the point that we're making is that um, really to bring about environmental sustainability and climate adaptation, again, the focus for investment has to be at the, at, at the municipal level. So um, I wonder if you'd like just to say a few words on the, the investments that you're doing together with us on the environmental side. And maybe um, this can open up the, the ears, if you like, of people at the Green Climate Fund. And we'd like to be able to work for local governments to get direct access to those type of climate adaptation uh, investments. Uh, over to you. So I'm pleased to say that we're actually in engagement with the Green Climate Fund at the moment on one of our initiatives. And um, we are having to work through the national government, through the Environment Protection Agency, um, but we are actually, we, you know, we've had a series of conference calls, worked through documents, and this is in respect of our cable car project, um, which will be greening mass transportation. Um, we don't have mass transit at all in Sierra Leone and in Freetown at the moment. Um, and so we have terrible um, greenhouse gas emissions coming from very old vehicles, um, which sit in traffic, single user or low user occupancy vehicles like Okadas and Kekes, which are like the Tuk Tuks, um, another name that people might be more familiar with. Okadas being the motorcycles with just a single passenger, sometimes very dangerously too. Um, but we are introducing a cable car and we are in conversation with, with the Green Climate Fund. We're in conversation with other um, bodies as well. But since you mentioned them specifically, now the point you made about direct funding is a great one because we, we can't, as you know, have these conversations directly as a sub-national government. We've got to go through the national government. And it, it would be wonderful to have um, the freedom to and the space um, to, to take visions through fast uh, because we are connecting with uh, agencies and institutions whose raison d'etre um, is to support the green agenda. Um, and as a city that is committed to, to being green and to creating a green economy, just being able to do that directly would be very beneficial. But Freetown, the Treetown uh, has kicked off. 
Um, we started planting on the 1st of June, that's planting a million trees over the course of the year. Uh, and this is something that we've been able to get support for from the World Bank and um, the GEF, uh, Global Environment Facility. So again, another, another uh, um, green funding institution, but like the World Bank, um, operating at the um, national government level, um, you know, we, we've gone we've gone through the process, we've engaged through um, the Ministry of Finance, and we've been able to access the funding. But we would be, it would be preferable, I think, and I think it'd be more efficient if that wasn't a, nece a necessity. If we could have direct access to funding as a subnational government. Absolutely. No, thank you so much indeed. I, I love um, this idea of Freetown, the tree town. That's great. Yeah. And uh, that's, you, that has a really nice ring to it. And so we're working with um, our partners. You know, we have this, the International Municipal Investment Fund that is exclusively for local governments. And we're also working at the policy level to look at um, within institutions like UCLG and others to look at how to create a, a global financial ecosystem that works for cities and local governments and that would provide that type of direct access. As you know, one of the problems is that global decisions are made by nation states uh, and um, mayors are not at that table and yet the solutions uh, it's often mayors that are leading the way. And I think this interview has really demonstrated that. So I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving a small moment of your very busy day and uh, look forward to uh, continuing to engage with you and your city. And um, good luck with everything and stay safe and healthy, uh, Mary Vaughan. Uh, all the best to you. Thanks. Thanks very much, David. And all the best to you. Stay safe. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Capital Lowcast, the local government finance podcast from the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Thanks for listening. See you next week.